Well, welcome to another episode of the Grazing Sheep Podcast. I'm your host, Big Tom Perkins, along with Dr. Cameron Meyerly. And uh, we're going to apologize up front because we both have colds. Yeah, it's the it's what I've been calling the Christmas crud. And all I can think of is, you know, you go and you see these people and the only gift they give you is swapping germs back and forth because <laughs> I was I was doing really well before Christmas and now I can't seem to shake this stinking cough. So, well, being a single guy and I don't have any family around Christmas just kind of ends up being another day. I don't go and see anybody, but somewhere on the line, just the sheep, just me and the sheep and the dog, well, both dogs, I guess, and occasional stray cat. And uh, somehow or another, I ended up with the sniffles, and I must sneeze about 450 times a day. It drives me nuts. I hate sneezing. And you think my brain... You'd think my brain would be completely dry right now with all the all the blowing of the nose that I've done. Kind of nuts. I was, I was joking with my wife the other night. If the coughing keeps up, then my New Year's resolution of you know working out more and losing some some added pounds, I'm not gonna have to worry about it because my core is gonna be rock solid. So <laughs> from all that coughing, kind of a two for one. My back hurts from sneezing. It's okay. just, Great. It's weird. <laughs> Great. So maybe we were just maybe the good Lord's just giving us a good workout. Maybe that's what's happening. I'll take it. There you go. So I was out uh this morning and noticed, you know, the ground's freezing up, getting pretty cold at night. Finally. Finally. There wasn't much mud. We had some free concrete to could walk on today. And it got me to thinking about frosty. Yeah, it, this is the time to to really be making kind of those assessments. Maybe not the assessments. Probably should have figured out, that out last summer, last fall. Uh, but this is the time to be thinking, at least go buy the seed and be thinking about when you want to do that. Um, do you want to share? Have, have you? Well, first of all, tell us what, in your opinion, what you think frost seeding is. Well, so typically, when I think of frost seeding, I'm always thinking of clovers. And okay. uh, clover seems to be like medium red clover seems to be the easiest thing to frost seed. And you're kind of looking for those, kind of looking for that time of year where it gets cold enough at night that the ground's freezing, and then warm enough through the day that the ground thaws out again. And so you get that freezing and thawing, and it kind of makes like a honeycomb in that soil. And it lets those seeds kind of fall down in those little cracks. And you got to remember, these are teeny tiny little seeds, so they do not need to go very far in the soil. So you're probably talking an eighth inch, quarter inch maybe at the most, I would think. But uh, maybe it's not even that deep. But when you get that action happening, that's what gets that, uh, that's what lets that seed get down inside the soil. Yeah. And so... The biggest thing is the freezing and thawing. Yep. And that's, you know, we were joking the other day that I, we've had a freeze and thaw pro- probably at this point. You know, it hasn't been this drastic, you know, swinging back and forth. And it doesn't have to be much. We're not talking 51 day, 20 the next day. But where we get down 
say it's 25 overnight. The next day it's 35. Some yep. of these shorter, uh, more moderate temperature swings is enough to uh, crack that soil surface, create almost like a honeycomb type pattern when we're thinking about uh, providing a spot for that seed to to land. And is this something you know you've taken advantage of in the past? Yeah, back when I was younger and in a lot better shape and didn't sneeze so much. I would, uh, I had one of those spinners that you cranked by hand. It was basically a sack with a, the, with a strap that went over your shoulder and you just walked. Yep. Just crank that thing and you just throw seed out and you get to the end of the field and your bag would be empty and you'd have to walk all the way back because that's where your bag of seed was sitting. <laughs> you'd have to fill her up and go again. But now I have, I've also had, uh, Oh, a friend of mine had a, oh, I guess it was a three-point hitch herd cedar. Mm. And I've used that a couple of times with, on a really small tractor with uh, pretty wide tires. And and I don't know that I got such a good catch using that. Probably went, it's, it's really hard to judge how much seed you're putting on. You, yeah, you're. I mean, you can kind of go back and figure it out. You can say, I know this field had, you know, three acres in it or whatever it was. And I was trying to put on five pounds to the acre, whatever you're trying to do. And kind of after the fact, and you can kind of go back and measure it and see how much you put on. But boy, when you're first starting out using somebody else's cedar, you really have no clue of where to start. Yeah. And with the cost of seed, <laughs> Yeah. Now I wouldn't want to be making those mistakes. I, I know, uh, had a similar piece of equipment that we had used previously. Uh, and this was in, in grad school, we were doing some overseeding and, uh, you'd hit a bump and all of a sudden it was a three point spreader. You hit a bump and all of a sudden your seed's gone because yeah. it, it, you know, hit the slide, hit that gate that's uh, yep. closing off or making that opening you know, small, when we're talking our clover seeds, very small seeds. And so all of a sudden you're flinging it wide open and you go about 10 feet and it's gone. Yeah. Uh, The funny thing is a lot of that stuff germinated. Yeah. You could go (laughs) back out and, and look at, oh, that's where the, you know, where the setting was messed up and, where we spread all of the clover seed. Yeah, so using, using that herd cedar, it it didn't spread as wide as I thought it was. And uh, in those couple of pastures, for quite a few years, you had these really nice wide strips of clover, and then these little narrow strips where there was just grass. There wasn't any clover growing in those at all. And about the second mm-hmm. year, when that clover really came in, you could really see where you missed Okay. So, yeah. The other part of that, too, is it's kind of hard to, to tell when you, you know, maybe you go around the outside of the field and then you come back up to where you're starting to make your inner circle and you think, hmm, how far over should I be? Right. Meanwhile, meanwhile your spreader's still running. You're throwing seed everywhere. <laughs> right. Yep. And you've got the overlap. You Just what yep. you said, without a GPS on there, it's difficult. I yeah, do think... Tricky. Yeah, getting back to just frost seeding, personally, I feel like it's one of the the easiest and most economical uh, ways to 
improve a pasture. And if we get down to the root of why we want legumes in our pasture, we just got done talking about soil health. And one of those things is, is what's going on below the soil surface yep. with that clover yep. and that fixation of, of nitrogen. You know, mm -hmm. that's something that we've all probably heard of or uh, understand that that creates a, a relationship, um, a positive beneficial relationship of having a percentage of our pasture in legumes. We're providing some excess nitrogen for those grass species. Uh, along with that, the added protein from a lot of our legume species in that pasture mix from a animal nutrition standpoint, it yep. makes a lot of sense. And uh, it really does. It's one of the cheapest fertilizers that you can put on a field. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And when we're, if the opportunity to go out and just spread this seed on the soil surface and not worry about either owning a no-till drill or, uh, or renting a no-till drill, you know, that's, that's huge, I think. And it's during a time of year that we're not necessarily doing a, um, I shouldn't say that because most, most of us are lambing in the spring, uh, but shooting for yeah, February, March to take a day and go out and just spread, spread that clover seed, spread that legume seed out there. Uh, and we probably should talk about some, some planting rates and species that, that work to do this species that aren't great to do this. And I think if we go back to how it's working and why it's working and it's, it's incorporation into that soil. Uh, yeah. I had an old, uh, old, a mentor, uh, you know, we were starting the sheep side of things and had mentioned some frost seeding options. And, uh, he had said the best success rate that he had ever had was, and he, he swore by this was broadcasting on top of snow for the, idea or principle that as that snow melts, we're carrying that seed into that path of least resistance and getting that seed to the ground where it needs to be. Uh, and it, I think that's a good point of thinking about how you graze, Tom. Um, do we want a whole bunch of residual forage, a bunch of canopy out there, uh, frozen, laid over for that seed to sit there on top of? Well, that's kind of one of the things that I always worry about. I got to tell you, that seed is so small in the when you think of clover that it ends up finding its way down through there. Every time I've ever done it, it's been it's been successful. Sometimes I didn't see it that year, but all of a sudden I saw it the next year. And clover right. seed is a, a pretty hard seed in that it doesn't it can lay in the soil. For quite a while or, or just be out there for quite a while and still be viable right and that's you know we we brought up no-till drills and our goal is to get seed in the ground mm -hmm. uh, it's very difficult to to plant legumes small legume seeds with a no-till drill because yeah. we just need to scratch the surface mm -hmm. which is doable you know if we're on artificial turf or a, a golf course uh, but our pastures don't, 
they don't tend to be as flat and as smooth and as even as what we'd like them to. So how much of that seed then is, is landing on the soil surface? Uh, how much of that seed are we getting too deep? And that's, that's a very tricky situation. So we're to the point now where we won't even, if we're renovating a pasture and we're utilizing a, a drill, uh, we'll plant our, our grass species with that drill. And then we'll go back and broadcast afterwards uh, with that legume seed and then take a roller and, and pack that uh, after we've planted. But Well, that's what's worked best for me is if I could uh, if I could work that ground up a little bit then uh, just go in and broadcast seed. I broadcast my, my grass seeds and everything with it. And then uh, I just go back through with a Call them alter with the tines up, and it helps pack that in, and that's been really successful. But I think that's that worked for you. Yeah, I think anytime I tried using a no-till drill to do something like this, the issue was I, I, it always got too deep, and then my fields are not anywhere near, you know, level, and so you're you're too deep, and then you know six inches later, there's a hoof print you know, a pug where the drill doesn't go in at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then that seed just kind of lays down in there. Right. Yeah. And when we're thinking, we'd mentioned rates there earlier. Uh, when we're thinking red clover kind of book value of what we're shooting for, for pasture renovation and, and frost seeding that four to eight pounds mm -hmm. puts us kind of in the range of, you know, if we have no legumes out there, we're probably closer to that eight pound mark. Uh, if we have some legumes out there and we'd like to add more, we're probably closer to that, that four evaluation. I know I've mentioned on the podcast before that research project there in, in Morgantown, uh, on the organic farm where we were running some sheep experiments, we had done some frost seeding with two pounds of now that's pure live seed, uh -huh. uh, two pounds of pure live seed of red clover onto some, some pasture and, and saw improvement year one. And like you had said, Tom, year two was, was exceptional. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if that's a function of, you know, we get some plant out there producing seed in the environment in year one, and then it goes ahead and you know, replants itself, you know, it's, it's next generation mm -hmm. uh, spreading that seed on its own in year two, you know, it's a compounding effect. Uh, I don't know if it's a function of that. I think there's a lot of it that is what you said, that hard seed carrying over and then getting, once it hits that perfect spot, that uh, area of, of ideal growing conditions, all of a sudden then it, it's ready to go. It's ready, ready to take off. So yeah, I, I've wondered too uh, that maybe that seed is just on the top of the soil, or just maybe laying on a little grass plant just above that soil, and then those sheep come along that next year, and they're just walking through it, and they're pushing that seed into this, down to where it's making seed to soil contact. Right, and now right. suddenly it, it grows. Yeah. But red clover does seem to be the easiest. And even if you don't have a spreader, I remember my granddad, when I was a little kid, he literally took a bucket 
and just walked along with his hand and just handfuls. Yeah. Yeah. And I've even thought we parked a bunch of bales, as we've mentioned before, bought in a, a decent amount of hay, uh, this fall and where those bales were at in the field, of course, is now bare dirt. And mm-hmm. I thought about just getting some uh, or taking some of the annual ryegrass that we haven't used and and some red clover and as opposed to spreading everything just like a, a tin can, like a soup can and just a, a scoop, like a half a scoop and just shake it over that bare dirt to try to get some early spring yeah growth some cover on that uh and see what happens but i don't know if we'll do that and then uh some other plant species another clover our ladino clovers uh because it's a smaller seed we're looking at two to three pounds mm-hmm. on that pasture renovation of of spreading and then the other interesting one on here and i'd be curious your take on this tom bird's foot trefoil they have on here at four to six pounds is this something and the only reason i bring it up is yeah that seed clover seed in and of itself is expensive enough um bird's foot trefoil is extraordinarily pricey um very expensive seed is this something that you would risk you know broadcasting frost seeding bird's foot trefoil in in pasture that didn't have any I would, uh, maybe not a full rate by any stretch of imagination, just because it is so expensive. But if you have the ability to let that plant grow and let it go to seed, that it can reseed itself and, uh, and and can let that pasture rest long enough to let that happen, I think it'd be worth it. Because I, I hear a okay. lot of people talk about how hard it is to establish. I'm lucky in that it just grows all over the place on my farm. Right. Right. And, and the and other it has to be going to seed and reseeding itself because that plant by year three, that plant would be non existent. It would be completely gone. Those plants okay. those plants, everything I've read about them is that if you were to seed them, they were to come, they're only gonna last two years. If you were like in a haying situation where you were hanging that off. In two years, that plant will be gone. You have a few stragglers left over in year three, and that that would be it. Yeah, a, a biannual, biannual type, right? Type plant function, mm-hmm. uh, type growth pattern, and that's you're talking bird's foot trefoil there, correct? You're right. Yeah, and so our our medium red clovers tend to be the same, and and when we're looking at varieties of clover, I know I I believe it's freedom. Clover is like the trade name of uh, just has a better stand longevity than our traditional two years. Now, in your grazing system and, you know, a lot of the uh, the hay that we've made or or pastures that we've uh, gotten onto maybe a little bit later than what we'd like. I, I would have a hard time in that setting of going and spending the extra money for that just mm-hmm. for the longevity sake, because I think it does a phenomenal job reseeding itself. Yeah. Uh, the other, you know, plant species that was on that list is one of our grasses and that's annual or, or perennial 
ryegrass. Yeah. Um, and I was, it's probably success rate depends a lot on environment compared to our, our clover seeds, because though it, it's a more dense grass seed, it's not as dense as what our, our legumes would be. Uh, and so that rate for pasture renovation, we're looking at four to six pounds of that perennial or annual ryegrass of a pure live seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so have you ever broadcast any grasses to frost seed with? The only time I've ever broadcast any grasses uh, with the idea of frost seeding was one time I managed to get a hold of orchard grass that was hulled. Okay. And I had some left over, and when I went out to frost seed some clover, I thought, I'm just going to throw this in, mix it in, and we'll just see what happens. And I swear it came. They they kind of ran out halfway across the field, um, not of the of the clover, but of what I had, you know, the the orchard grass and that mixed together. And I swear that that one half of that field was much thicker with orchard grass the following year and the year after that. So I was yeah, and that's but now just general just broadcasting, you know, years ago we used to just broadcast rye right on top of uh, corn ground. That we had taken the corn off for corn silage. We, you know, we didn't disc. We didn't do anything. We just went out and broadcast it, and it it grew. Um, I think spelt right. do the same thing, but it has to get that seed to soil contact, and that's where you run into right. problems. With uh, and I should say, what are you expecting? Hmm? But what are you expecting to really get that contact? Because my thought is, my expectation would be rainfall. You know, we've just yeah. talked about. Uh, about the the impact of that rain droplet and can even create some negative situations. But to really uh, get that seed, I don't even want to say incorporated, but have a solid contact with soil, I think we need a hard rain in there. Yeah, and typically, you know, in the the spring months, you typically get that. it's just the fluffier your seed is or the bigger your seed is. I kind of hesitate to say that. It's more about the shape of that seed. Because we've uh, we've frost-seeded hairy vetch as well. And it's a very round seed. It's it's a pretty big seed. And yet that seems to be able to work its way down through everything and mm. hit, hit the soil and get seed to soil contact. And that's the main point of it. If your pasture is really, really thin, I think you could, I think you, and, and you're just walking along and you can look down through and see bare dirt as you're walking. I think, uh, I think if you were wanting to do any of the rye grasses, I think that would work well in a situation like that, just because that seed has the potential to actually get down and hit dirt. Yeah. And it's tricky on the renovation side of things. It, it's hard mm-hmm. to just, to justify the equipment cost or or the timeline to use that, uh, especially planting in the spring. And so this is like the one avenue. If you're my my word of caution would be to not look at frost seeding as unless it's for our clovers uh, as an option to cut out 
a bulk of the cost mm-hmm. in renovating pastures and going out and I've got my pasture mix. I'm going to put it out there and that seed's going to find its way because the unfortunate reality is it, it's probably not Yeah, with our grass seeds. Uh, we might get the red clover and thus that following year we say, Oh, look, look, my pasture mix is coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know just from previous ex- experience, uh, we drilled overgrazed some, some ground intentionally drilled in oats, uh, a grazing variety of oats. And even the oats in with that spring competition of that, uh, just that, that spring flush, the oats had a hard time competing. And that's like their one, their one job is to get up and grow rapidly. Um, so, you know, all, all of that being said, really stick to, Use it for what it's intended for. Mm-hmm. Uh, use it for incorporating those legumes. Have you ever heard of, we're talking legumes, you ever heard of anybody frost-seeding alfalfa? Oh, yeah. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, oh, more money than they know what to do with. Well, I I don't know. <laughs> I've seen some really nice alfalfa fields. Um, around here, there's this superstition, I guess, that on uh, St. Patrick's Day, you go out and you broadcast alfalfa seed uh, in your wheat. Really? And it is like gospel around here. Where are they getting this alfalfa seed? I have no idea where they're buying the alfalfa seed. but Because they... it? it's got to be cheaper than the stuff that I've priced. Well, it... <laughs> I doubt that it is. I bet it's. Well, I one of my friends I know uses it. Um, it's a pioneer brand or blend or variety, I guess I should say. Really, and it's not cheap. That's it's been so probably Saint Patrick's years, Day. It's probably been ten years since I talked to him uh, about that seed, but I I remember him saying it was like a hundred and sixty dollars for a fifty pound bag. I don't okay, know what the price would be today, but I... he. St. Patrick's Day, he was out there frost-seeding it over top of his wheat. Yeah. I know some of the Roundup-ready stuff, and and not that you would use that for your, your pasture incorporation. Uh, I mean, it's it's close to four or $500 a bag. But, I mean, a lot of it is we're planning to plant it in a, a monoculture or yes. Or maybe we add in some orchard grass for some tonnage, but and we're looking that's to get it works. And I think too, yes. you went back, you know, 34 years ago in March, you know, well, I remember when I was, you know, went to grade school, March came in like a lion and went out like a lamb. And, uh, and that's what we were always told. And, and now I think you're really pushing yourself back. You're better off doing it towards February. Because you think so? I the, think are. Yeah, for because, the frost, for the freezing and thawing aspect yeah, of it, right? But I think years ago in March, you still got a good bit of freezing and thawing. But I haven't heard anybody. A lot of my relatives still do this on you know St. Patrick's Day. I don't know why that was the date, but it was like gospel. <laughs> they we were might have to do a St. Patrick's Day doing it. Might have to do a little test plot. Yeah. And then but share I, results. I think the most important thing about frost seeding is that if you are 
I don't want to say a hobby farmer, but if you're you just have small acreage and you just have a few sheep, it's a great way to improve your pastures, and it doesn't break the bank. You know, you, you can you can find clover seeds. In fact, most of your companies now are, aren't even selling it in fifty pound bags; they're selling it in twenty five pound bags because of mm. the because of the cost. But if right. you're going to go out and do, if you're going to spread it on it, you five pounds, you know, per acre. One bag that's twenty five pounds will cover, you know, five acres. So it gets to be a little more economical that way. You don't have to have a whole bunch of machinery. I don't know what one of those spinners costs now that uh, you know you can strap on your with a shoulder strap in the bag. We've had ours since I was a little kid, um, but you know most of them now come with a metal handle and a plastic fan that throws it out. I think ours is still, I think ours is canvas with a metal handle and a metal fan <laughs> to, to spread it out. But yeah, you you still have the, do the a little planting walking. rate sheet on it uh if it ever did it's long gone if, i don't remember seeing it on there i only ask because you know we were using something similar and it still had the piece of paper stapled to the bottom of the of the uh, <laughs> platform told you how much to what setting to put it at and how much seed yeah. you should be planting so yeah so the good thing with that is you can kind of you could actually measure your seed out, you know, and uh, see what it weighed. And then you could go and just start walking and you could you could narrow it down pretty quick to get your right amount on. But even if you screw up and you put too much on, that's okay. If you don't get enough on, that's okay too. It's just all little learning experiences. I know my old grain drill, you flip the hood or the lid up on it and there's all kind of writing in there. All kind of notes that I made. <laughs> right. Some of them will be crossed out because when I got all done, it wasn't right, you know, kind of a thing. But yeah, make some notes and uh, do a little calibration. But the point of it is, you don't have to have a tractor. You don't have to have a no till drill. You don't have to have all this fancy equipment. You can buy one of those, one of those uh, hand seeders and just go out and seed. Yeah. And my, I think my probably closing comment would be take pictures yeah. of, you know, that's the only way to really, to truly document it in a, in any type of like real fashion, as opposed to saying, well, I think it worked, you know, go, go out, take a picture of a field that maybe you, you think needs a little bit of help and then do your frost seeding the following two years, go out and take pictures, similar times a year, similar growth stages and see, you know, really try to evaluate, yeah, that was worth my time and effort to go and do that. Mm. Uh, but that's after the fact that you're signing up for three years of commitment there. Um, but it wouldn't take a whole lot of work. No. And if you made the New Year's resolution to get a little more exercise, well, there you go. Yep. We've solved it for you. Yep. You can just go out and walk along and crank that little booger and just throw your seeds out there. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I spent my youth doing a lot of walking, a lot of cranking, and a lot of guessing. So right. I'm never, never sure I was where I was supposed to be. It is much easier when there's snow on the ground. You can That's actually, true. You can actually see where that seed lands. You can see where that seed goes. And you can uh, kind of look over 
see where your tracks were when you make your next pass. So, got any closing arguments there? No, I I think this was a good topic in terms of time of year. Uh, it's something that I wouldn't start. If you're listening to this, don't go out tomorrow and do it. I'd probably wait until February, March, uh, at least in kind of this eastern Midwest region. If your area different than that, then we might have missed it. You might have to wait until next year, or maybe you don't freeze. So, sorry. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, maybe there's a a summer drought ground cracking seeding that you can look into then. And then just pray for rain. But uh, you know, for those that can make it work and just what you said, Tom, it's affordable, it's economical to to get out and we can do it pretty pretty efficiently yeah. uh, with some pretty simple tools. Yep, I agree. Well, we thank you for listening to another episode of the Grazing Sheep Podcast. Uh, if you got questions or comments, you can reach out to me at bigtomperkins at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page. You can go on there and like and follow. You can leave some comments there as well. So it's been a uh, good discussion and good catching up with you, Cam. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. It sounds good, Tom. All right. Bye.